This week, researchers turn to Alexa and Google, or turn Alexa and Google Home into credential thieves. Microsoft aims to block firmware attacks with a new secured core PCs. The popular VPN service NordVPN confirms a data center breach, and a four-year-old critical Linux Wi-Fi bug allows for system compromise, and U.S. Nuclear Weapons Command finally ditches the 8-inch floppy. In expert commentary, we welcome back Mr. Jason Wood to discuss the evolution of false flag operations. All that and more on this episode of Hack Naked News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show that brings you the security news each week. And despite popular belief, we do wear pants. It's Hack Naked News. Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash B-H-I-S to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Too many alerts and not enough action? It's time to get SaltStack. SaltStack is an intelligent IT automation platform that detects security issues in critical business systems and then actually fixes them. With SaltStack, security and IT teams work together to define custom security policies with certified checks for CIS, DISA-STIGs, and more. You can scan systems for millions of compliance checks in minutes. Remediate compliance and vulnerability issues with powerful automation all in a single platform. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash salt stack to learn more. Hey, welcome everyone to Hack Naked News, episode 238 for October 22nd, 2019. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian. With exciting news about the Security Weekly webcast program, we are now partnered with ISC Squared as an official CPE provider. That means if you attend any of our webcasts, you get one CPE credit. That's right, one CPE credit per webcast. Upcoming webcasts with ServiceNow and Core Security are uh, available by going to securityweekly.com. Click the webcast dropdown and select registration. You can also check out our previously recorded webcast in our on-demand library uh, by going to our website and hitting the same dropdown menu for webcasts. And now, the security news for this week. Samsung blames Galaxy S10 uh, Note 10 fingerprint unlock bug on covers. That's right. According to Samsung's statement, the source of the problem is an issue with the Galaxy S10 and Note 10's ultrasonic fingerprint sensor that causes the phone to mistakenly recognize three-dimensional patterns in certain silicone covers and screen protectors themselves as the user's fingerprint. That means anyone who uses their phone without a case or uses plastic or glass screen protector should be in the clear. That said, some users have posted videos, such as the one that's in the article, that show it possible to unlock the S10 by placing a specific kind of gel case on top of the sensor, even on a phone with a freshly registered fingerprint, essentially allowing gel cases to act as sort of a master key. That also means if you have any kind of silicone or gel type substance, you could probably unlock those person's phones. Uh, hooray for facial recognition, 
which will act as your fingerprint on my new Pixel 4 and newer iPhones, of course. Uh, on the Pixel 4, there is no fingerprint uh, reader, which is going to be interesting, to say the least. A uh, four-year-old critical Linux Wi-Fi bug allows for system compromise. CVE 2019-17666. That's right, 666, which was classified as a critical in severity that exists in the RT Wi-Fi driver, which, of course, is a software component used to allow certain Realtek Wi-Fi modules to communicate with the Linux operating system, specifically the kernel. The driver is vulnerable to a buffer overflow attack where a buffer is allocated in the heap portion of memory and in turn corrupts nearby memory space and could alter other data altogether, opening up the door for malicious attackers. The vulnerable piece of the RTL Wi-Fi driver uh, is in a feature called the Notice, Notice of Absence Protocol. This protocol helps devices autonomously power down to save energy. The flaw exists in how the driver handles the Notice of Absence packets. It does not check for certain packets' uh, compatible length, so an attacker could add specific information elements that would cause the system to crash, or aka a heap overflow. Uh, the Linux kernel team is developing a patch. It's under revision, but has not been incorporated into the Linux kernel as of yet. Popular VPN provider NordVPN confirms a data center breach. NordVPN uh, is said Monday that it was the victim of a data breach in 2018. The company said so far the impact from the hack was minor, but it plans to um, uh, plans on upping its security efforts. The VPN company released details on Monday of the March 2018 data breach reported earlier by TechCrunch. An unauthorized user uh, accessed a lone server in a Finland data center that NordVPN was renting from an unnamed provider, which apparently didn't disclose the hack until recently. NordVPN says no usernames or passwords were intercepted and has since uh, ceased all business with that said hosting provider. Researchers have turned to Alexa and Google Home, uh, have turned them into credential thieves. Uh, Security Research Labs, a white hat research organization, developed a total of eight apps, four each for Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home, that masqueraded as horoscope checkers or random number generators. The apps triggered malicious actions based on action keywords such as stop while continuing to operate after the users thought they had closed. According to the researchers, both Amazon and Google removed those malicious apps when presented with evidence of their capabilities. Each of those companies have also said they've adjusted their practices and policies to prevent similar apps from being added to the stores in the future. I suggest you check which apps you actually have enabled. You might be surprised, as I was when I checked, about all of the apps that people like your kids like to install. Microsoft aims to block firmware attacks with new secured cord PCs. Microsoft is teaming up with Windows device manufacturers to tighten firmware security in a new initiative called Secure Core PCs, which are built to defend against firmware-level attacks. Its announcement arrives as attackers take greater aim at firmware, of course, the level of software that's closest to the hardware and controls functions of the devices and systems, uh, you likely have them in your computer. Firmware is an appealing target, of course, because it has a higher level of access to privilege to the operating system kernel and hypervisor and is also very stealthy and can reinfect the system as well. Uh, the National Vulnerabilities Database reports that 414 firmware bugs have been reported in 2019, compared with 476 in 2018, 401 in 2017, and 7 in 2016. New security requirements in secured cord PCs are intended to help users 
users, boot securely, protect devices from firmware flaws, and prevent unauthorized access to devices and data. Um, these secure core PCs remove the need to trust the firmware as part of the boot up process. Instead, they place the root of trust at the CPU level with new chipsets from AMD, Intel, and Qualcomm. New Azure AD, Microsoft's all about security this week. New Azure AD feature detects unauthorized access attempts. This sounds to me similar to things that Google and Facebook already do. This is dubbed Azure AD My Sign-In. The new feature provides users with information on any attempts to guess passwords, tells them whether the attacker managed to successfully sign into the account, and what apps they attempted to access. The sign-in activity information users will receive includes data on location, browser, and operating system, provided that a suspicious sign it appears their users know that an attacker may have gained access to their account. U.S. Nuclear Weapons Command finally ditches the 8-inch floppy. In 2014, a 60 Minutes made famous the 8-inch floppy disk used by one antiquated Air Force computer system that, in a crisis, could receive an order from the president to launch nuclear missiles from silos across the United States, but no more. At long last, the system, the strategic Automated Command and Control System, or SACS, has dumped the floppy disk, moving to a highly secured solid-state digital storage solution. That's according to Lieutenant Colonel Jason Rossi, the commander of the Air Force's 595th Strategic Communications Squadron. The military has just an awesome way of naming things, right? The new Winty backdoor is targeting Microsoft SQL servers with a magic password. Is it Hocus Pocus? You have to do the reverse engineering on your own to find out what the actual password is. However, in the article in the show notes, there's a link to the actual research article that gives you all the details but obscures the password, which I'm sure most of us could find uh, on our own anyhow. But it's designed to target Microsoft SQL Server 11 and 12, the most commonly used versions despite being deployed over five years ago. The backdoor is called Skip-2.0 by its authors and can maintain a stealthy connection to any MS SQL account by using the magic password in addition to hiding the connection logs. That's right, the password was hard-coded into the code in the MSSQL server. The Skip 2.0 backdoor targets functions related to authentication and event logging, including the CW password policy, manage, validate, password, PWD, well, it's in the show notes, uh, which is responsible for validating the password provided for a given user. However, should the user password match what ESET describes as a magic password, which tells me it hints towards what the password is, which is my, my first guess was Hocus Pocus, with it being Halloween time. In any case, the original function is not called in the hook return zero, thus allowing the connection without the correct password, which is awesome, or not. Uh, we'll take a short break and come back with expert commentary from none other than Jason Wood. Stay tuned. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV courses live and on demand, so there's no need to send staff to off-site training. Team subscriptions include Pro Portal, so managers have full control over your team's training schedule. Go to itpro.tv/hack-naked and use the code HN30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership. 
The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back, everyone, to Hack Naked News. Mr. Jason Wood from Paladin Security is here to talk about the evolution of false flag operations. Jason, welcome back to Hack Naked hey. News. Nice to see you again. It is good to be back. Definitely. Yeah, this uh, last couple of days have been really kind of interesting with a burst of stories about what are being called uh, headlines, talking about false flag operations. Russians attacking Iranians, APTs beating up on other APTs and taking their lunch money. All right, maybe not that headline, but you know you get the idea. The there's some some fighting here occurring between the uh, some of the different hacking groups out there, and they essentially are throwing different people under the bus to make it look like somebody else was performing the attack. Now the catalyst for all of these articles is an announcement made yesterday by the National Cyber Security Center, NCSC, I'm going to screw that up three times during this, that a Russian hacking group compromised an Iranian group so they could then use the Iranians' infrastructure uh, and code in their own attacks. Now, for those who aren't aware, the NCSC is the defensive side of the UK's GCHQ, which is similar in the US to the NSA. The announcement the basically James Bond, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> um, the announcement basically stated that the Turla Group, which is a Russian team, compromised an, an Iranian group and then used their attacks for their systems and infrastructure for attacks against, and I quote, more than 35 countries. So that it appeared the Iranians were actually the attackers or aggressors in this case. Now, I've got the link to that announcement here in the show notes, but it wasn't really exciting to read through, and it was actually fairly brief. So I tossed in another three articles to add a little bit more information and speculation as to what's going on. So you can check those out in the show notes as well. All of this really focuses on the topic of attribution and the idea between, behind the phrase false flags is to the idea of throwing off an investigator as they try and figure out who did something. So if John attacks Jeff but leaves evidence behind to implicate Mary in it, the investigator may decide that Mary is the attacker, or at least is going to spend time trying to determine if it well, was actually Mary or not. And it's interesting in this story, Jason, to actually figure out like who's doing the forensics and has the evidence to support who was actually doing the hacking. Right? Like, did the Iranians make it look like it was the right? Like, we could really go down the rabbit hole. If I'm the Iranians oh, yeah. and I want to attack 35 countries, I'm going to say the Russians hacked into my stuff and attacked 35 countries, right? Yeah. And there's lots of reasons why countries would want to do that. I mean, that obscures mm. what the response may be because if you're not sure who actually did the attack, who are you responding to? Now, as right. companies, we don't respond 
back to countries uh, on attack or hacking activity. Well, we, we collaborate with governments. Law, do. Yeah, we collaborate with law enforcement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then they go deal with that sort mm -hmm. of stuff because um, I don't know about you, but I'm not really interested in taking on the GRU on my own. A lot of reasons um, why we we shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. Exactly. I, there are security researchers who are uh, involved with those investigations. Um, and it, it can be, I've spoken with a few, just to add some, you know, uh, color commentary here, that uh, get a little nervous, right? They won't take trips to China necessarily, right? Because they've been involved with so many investigations um, and are a little bit public about it. And even that can be, you know, kind of dangerous, so. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so attribution is obviously something that's really contentious and a bit of a hot topic, right? People argue about this back and forth for various reasons, either because they think it's impossible from a technical side or they don't like the results that somebody came up with. And as Paul points out, we really don't know how NCSC came up with this analysis. To be honest, with you, one of the thoughts I had was how far are they into this Iranian group to in their infrastructure to try and pin this back on the Russians. So, but who knows? Because we we just don't have that information. Figuring out who can be behind who is behind an attack satisfies a bit of an urge in us to figure out who to blame for an incident, but it really doesn't do a whole lot for us in the middle of defending against attacks or the day-to-day -day operations except maybe to guess what the attacker's next move might be. Uh, I was actually talking a couple weeks ago with Jake Williams, otherwise known as Malware Jake, online, and he put it this way to me uh, at the time when we came up, we're talking about attribution. He says, if Mike Tyson walks up to you and punches you in the mouth, your first course of action is not to try and authenticate whether that's actually Mike. True. Your, your goal is to get out of there because your jaw is now broken and um, and you don't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with whoever the heck this is. And Phil Collins is still playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, governments and law enforcement are interested in attribution. This is a big deal. They have to decide how to respond to these things. And the responses may range from diplomatic to economic or military actions. And if you're deciding to pose economic uh, sanctions or launch cruise missiles or something like that against a country, then you want to make sure you have the right country in the first place. Uh, at least you would hope so. Wired yeah, magazine... You know, Jason, which could be why this information is coming public now, right? Um, it could be the GCHQ, for example, was either had a mole or had implanted themselves digitally as a backdoor in the Russians or the Iranians' infrastructure and observed both. this behavior, right? Or both, right? And observed this behavior and said, yeah, before, you know, countries go trying to blow stuff up against each other, let's just make this public and say that, you know, this is what happened kind of thing, which could have burned some of their infrastructure and or, and or informants, right? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, countries, one of the reasons why countries are doing this, and I, I was going to mention this in a bit, uh, could be doing this, why the the uh, NCSC could be announcing this is they're trying to frame the conversation up around this because if there is confusion about who did what, then the Russians can come back and say, well, look at all these discrepancies. 
you know, what we know about the groups are supposed to be from us, which we, you know, we don't actually do that, but I don't, you know, don't know what they're talking about. But these groups are supposed to be from us. There's discrepancies. That looks like an Iranian group or a Chinese group or, or whatever it is, North Korean. And so, you know, it allows them to spin the narrative a little bit their way and make it difficult to pin things back on them. We end up with dissent and dis- an argument on our mm-hmm. side. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting this write-up I wired is Andy Greenberg goes through how this has changed over time, uh, over the last several years. He started off, you know, kind of, and he's following the Russians along here with this, but the idea that they came up with, uh, first, and, uh, different groups that they stood up to pretend to be somebody else. So they, he cited the cyber caliphate, who was originally thought to be ISIS, but later the French determined, French intelligence determined was the GRU. Uh, then they started fronting things with hacktivists, uh, what appeared to be hacktivists or uh, criminal groups to obscure their actions. This focused more on ransomware, because after all, why would a government care about ransomware? That sounds like a criminal group uh, rather than an intelligence operation. Some of those examples are not Petya and Bad Rabbit. And how well did it work? Well, it took eight months for five different countries to start to, tr- to finally trace it back to Russia. So. Definitely some lag there in that. The latest incarnation of this false flags was is what we're discussing here, which is the idea that a Russian group has infiltrated an Iranian group and then turned around and attacked a number of other countries, uh, used code and tools that are associated with this group, infrastructure that's associated with this Iranian group, and therefore it muddies the waters. When somebody comes back and says, hey, we think this was Russia that was behind this, they can turn around and point to indicators to this Iranian group. And yeah, it just makes things really difficult. And a lot of division in different countries as they argue back and forth over it. Whether or not you believe it was the Russians, none of this argument and debate hurts Russia's position in the world. So it's a win for them either way. The point of all this is, I think, is just interesting to watch and see how difficult it is to determine uh, who is behind different things that are occurring in our world as we're able to do much better at faking information. And, uh, you know, they talk about some of the, the advancements in deep fake videos, for example, mm-hmm. that, I, you know, I think we had a, a guest on Security Weekly that talked about the idea that these videos could only be, com- or getting to the point, they could only be combated by software, not people, because uh, we can't tell the difference. So, uh, you know, there's, there's propaganda campaigns being run around the world by all different countries. Social media is being used for this. Uh, these are being used to downplay world events, blame others, uh, duck repercussions for things that they've done. I just think it's interesting to read, and it's good for us to be aware of how these things are being used so that we can understand a little bit about what's occurring around us and why different countries are saying the things that they are. Uh, and try and spot when we're being played a little bit, though that'd be really difficult. Regardless, I think it's worth a read. We've got four articles here in the show notes. I recommend you take a look and enjoy the read because they are interesting and entertaining. Jason, thank you so much. With that, we will conclude this episode of Hack Naked News. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. We'll see you next time. 